before uh, I jump in, can we have a little family discussion? And by family discussion, I mean a family monologue where dad talks and all the children listen. <laughs> Not that I'm your dad or anything, but that's what I tell my kids. We're going to have a discussion. You be quiet, I'll talk. I want to give you an update. It was, um, it was almost 12 years ago that uh, I committed to uh, Jonathan Walker uh, to partner with him to plant Church on the Rock here in Homer. And uh, we started in uh, November of 2008, which seems hard to believe that it's been that long. Some of you have been around since then. Um, and Jonathan and I uh, uh, pastored together for five years and just had such a wonderful time. Uh, Jonathan and I are very different in our gifting. Uh, and uh, we, we really actually found it a wonderful challenge and goal uh, to support each other in those differences and to honor those differences in ministry. Um, I used to, earlier in my ministry, I've, I found that I, would, I was easily uh, overcome with the desire that the people around me would care more about the things that I care about in ministry, which is actually dis destructive uh, in ministry. Uh, what I need is people around me who care about the things that I maybe am not tuned into, right? And that's because their gifting is different than mine. And so they're aware of different things and are passionate about different things. Anyways, Jonathan and I, uh, we pastored together for five years. Uh, we actually brought Jared Baker on, was our first uh, staff member at Church on the Rock. Uh, he was our office manager for, what, six years or something like that? Like, basically an eternity. Uh, anyways, it was just such a great time of, of building and figuring a bunch of stuff out. We were, we, it really was a time of uh, just figuring out how to do what we wanted to do. And what we wanted to do was effectively come alongside of uh, people in, towards the mission of God. Right, to come alongside and equip and encourage people to take steps towards God. And the, the, the zeal in that, like our passion in that, is because every time in our own lives that we've taken a step towards obedience, towards, towards following the Lord and accomplishing his mission, doing the thing that he has called me to do, every time... God has proven himself to be good and faithful. Every time that I've dreaded laying something down and taking a step of obedience towards the unknown, what God has revealed is something so profoundly more valuable than I was blind to, right? And so with that testimony, I just wanted to, to be a part of helping other people take those steps, those difficult uh, sometimes scary steps of obedience and following him. We had five years of fun. In fact, in the last couple of months, I've hung out with Jonathan a few times. He's still a good friend. Uh, at the five-year mark, Jonathan was invited to go to uh, Wasilla. 
and um, uh, because David Pepper had stepped down, and we already had on our team um, Skip Bowersocks. And so we, we actually, the Sunday that we announced that Skip was going to be stepping into Jonathan's place, Skip got a standing ovation at church, which is amazing. Skip's here this morning. He's still just solid gold. That's right. It just occurred to me that the tone of my talk right now and Skip's recent resignation may lead you to conclude, oh no, is this Aaron's? This is not my resignation. That's not where this, that's not where this is headed, okay? Just to set you at ease, just thanks. <clears throat> so uh, Skip and I uh, partnered together for five years. And um, one of the things I told Skip, and I've actually told this to all of our staff that we've hired at Church on the Rock, is that uh, we're not getting married it's not till death do us part. If you can come and serve for a period of time and be faithful during that time and serve with integrity and then depart with grace when it's time for you to, to step out, God bless you. And your investment will be a blessing to us and it will not be lost. And that's how I feel about uh, Skip's investment is five years is that served with integrity uh, his investment is secure, and the fruit of that investment continues to be seen, and yet it was time for him to make a change. <clears throat> um, I've actually known for probably uh, something like 18 months now that Skip was stepping down. So I knew September before last, uh, before you guys knew, of course. I didn't find out the Sunday that he announced it. Um, <clears throat> And so I had actually, about uh, 18 months ago, um, had already begun reaching out uh, to figure out what we were, who we would pull in to replace Skip. Um, when Skip and I started uh, uh, five, uh, our beginning of our five years, uh, part of the reason we were so uh, confident in bringing him in is that Skip shared that same passion coming alongside of believers and helping them take steps of obedience towards Christ, right? The mission of disciple-making. Skip was on board with that. He was living that and loves to encourage other people in that. Well, about, uh, I think it was three or four years into Skip's time, we realized we needed another guy. Um, Skip and I are actually much more alike than Jonathan and I were. Um, we, we think more the same. We realized we need another guy to to help us in some areas where uh, we feel like we're not doing as well as we should be doing. Uh, those areas were uh, taking our people outside of our church into the community. Jonathan was really passionate about that. And I care deeply about that. I'm just not super good at it. Um, uh, I'm more of an administrator, teacher, like organizer person. And uh, uh, and Skip and I are probably share some of those. Not that we weren't out, but we share some of those same giftings. We realize we need someone who's, who, can, who can move us outward and also help us do a better job of welcoming new people into our church and getting them connected. And so in my mind, I knew the guy that I wanted to reach out to. And so I called Drew Simpson, uh, who was in Hawaii at the time. And I said, I, I think I remember in our previous conversations that... Uh, 
you had made like a five-year commitment to be at Kona on staff, and I was just checking in to see where you're at in that five-year commitment and, and uh, what you're thinking about your future. And he said at the time, it's interesting that you called because we're actually wrapping up that five-year commitment. And uh, I said, perfect. Have I got a job for you? Uh, so uh, Drew's been with us now for two years, and uh, Drew is specifically tasked with uh, mobilizing our church towards outreach. A big part of that is our missions conference and uh, helping our church better engage with new people that come in the door. Uh, and he's been doing just a smashing uh, good job in his first two years in the midst of all the transition. So with Skip stepping down, uh, I had started looking, our elders had started discussing, uh, Drew and I even had conversation um, I knew that we were looking for someone who is uh, uh, further down the road of experience, someone who had some, some experience in church ministry under their belt. And um, we went through a process for about a year of considering a number of candidates that we, we actually really, really liked. And yet, uh, really what it came down to is we were looking for something very specific. Um, we felt pretty strongly after quite a period of consideration that uh, we need a pastor who can oversee our corporate worship ministry. So we do worship on Sunday mornings. We do worship in chapels on Sunday nights. We do worship in youth group on Sunday nights. We do worship in children's ministry on Sundays. And we have a lot of really gifted people who are involved in that ministry, very capable people, but not someone with the experience and the skill set to really pastor that ministry and to grow that ministry going forward. So we really just kind of boiled it down and honed in on that. And uh, the moral of my story this morning is that we found our guy. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you too much because uh, Chris and Rachel Kincaid, who are planning to move up here in June and uh, join our team, um, uh, they're going to be here on this stage three weeks from now. Uh, so on March 22nd, if you want to meet them, if you want to hear a little bit about their story, they actually have a, a kind of a crazy connection with Homer, Alaska. And, um, but I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about this story. Um, Chris, most recently, uh, him and his wife are born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Chris has been doing uh, performing music for about 25 years. Uh, he's been leading church music for about 12 years. And when he reached out to us, he was leading worship. He was the worship pastor of a church that's about 10 times the size of ours, um, which kind of confused me at first. In fact, I said, you realize AK stands for Alaska, right? Like you understood uh, you're reaching out to, like my dad said last week, the uttermost parts of the earth, 
but God had really put something in their heart. Um, and so we've been in conversation with them for the last uh, four months. Uh, they came up a few weeks ago. They were in our service, and our sound system went out. That was the day, and they loved it, because they got to hear you all sing. It was great. Anyways, we got to spend some time with them. Our elders got to spend time with them. Um, I'm gonna, we'll be putting more information out online on Facebook. You guys can like, you know, cyber stalk them on social media and figure out their past. Uh, Chris has, has released quite a bit of music. He's published a number of his own albums. Um, he's just done music for quite some time and done it really well. And God has, uh, God, this is the crazy part, God put it in their heart to move this direction, not this direction like to the Pacific Northwest, this direction as in to Homer, Alaska. And uh, anyway, so we, they just committed a couple of weeks ago uh, to to come, and uh, they're going to they're gonna be coming on, and I've given, uh, we've given Chris three mandates uh, for joining our team. Um, the first one is that he would raise the bar in our corporate expression of worship, that he would raise the bar of excellence to enliven and inspire our corporate worship expression just to help all of our talented people get better at what we do, right? Second thing is, uh, we've made this very clear for even in the interview process, that Chris, we need Chris to create a pipeline of development for worship leaders and musicians at all ages and, and skill levels. So all the way down to our youth to uh, give them a coaching and direction to grow up as uh, worship leaders. We just had one of our youth last week sing with me. Did you guys catch that? Debbie? Yeah. And we have other really talented uh, young people who right now, to be fair, don't have a real clear pathway to grow and pursue that. So part of his mandate is to make sure that he's developing musicians at all ages and all stages of development. Thirdly, the third part of his mandate for his time with us is that uh, we need him to find ways to use music beyond the walls of our church as an outreach to our community. So whatever that looks like, whether it's uh, getting musicians together and playing at Alice's and connecting with the crowd there, whether it's doing live worship events, joining with other churches, whether it's doing training for musicians, uh, you name it, that's the third part of his mandate, is take music and go with musicians and reach people who are not here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. So, you guys excited? I'm excited, yeah. Um, there is something I, I mentioned to my uh, worship teams when I let them know, I think it was last week, um, there will be a time of transition for us. Um, there will be some things that change uh, in the way that we do uh, corporate worship. And honestly, I'm not even speaking of something in particular, 
but uh, we're going to give Chris a pretty uh, wide space and grace to help us understand how to, uh, to grow that ministry and increase our capacity corporately to engage in worship. Um, and so, uh, again, they're going to be here in three weeks. They're going to be on the stage. We'll, you'll get to hear a little bit of their testimony. Um, but what I would ask from all of you is that uh, two things. Number one is that you just show them the love and grace that I've, I've grown so confident that this group is able to show. Um, and then number two, uh, that, you, that you support and give allowance for a time of transition as he comes in and figures out what's what. You know, why does your sound system sometimes not work? No, Scott's on that issue, and it's just continuing to... We've had some interesting things happen lately, and Scott's the man. He's been figuring that out. Scott's going to be working hand-in-hand hand with Chris. Um, in fact, Scott has his own connection to them from quite some time ago, which is another part of the story. But anyways, they're coming. Embrace them with grace. Uh, let them land. They're going to be coming in the middle of June. He probably won't be on stage until sometime in July. Um, but uh, we are excited and confident. Our leadership, our elders were unanimous in our sense that, that God has put this together and blessed our church with someone who has the capacity to do uh, what we need done going forward. So here we go. Do I have time left for a sermon? At the end of the day, It's actually not my ultimate goal that we would just provide great music when we get together. It's never been our goal, and I love great music. Our desire as leaders at Church on the Rock is to be faithful, to do our part, to encourage and equip you to do your part in accomplishing the mission of Jesus, which my dad so fantastically laid out last week. We want to be found at work doing the, accomplishing the mission, the work of Jesus on the earth when he returns. Worship is a part of that. The corporate expression of worship is a piece of what encourages and lifts our hearts to Jesus, not just so that we can be better connected with him momentarily while we wait to die, but so that we can be better connected with him in the accomplishment of his mission, so that our hearts are encouraged, inspired, and strengthened as we pursue him. That's always been our goal. We want to help you meet with God here during this time, to hear from his word, to hear from his spirit. We want to continue to encourage you to give your all. And as we together walk in obedience, there's a corporate encounter with God and his spirit that happens here. And as you individually walk in obedience, there's a personal encounter with God and his spirit that's available to you anywhere and everywhere. 
And like my dad said last week, you have been especially equipped, you personally, to play a unique and critical role in the mission of God, to make his salvation, his life, love, hope, and freedom available to all those who want to receive it. You have been called. You have been equipped. And throughout the history of, uh, of humanity, throughout redemptive history, what we see over and over and over is a God who is coming to his people, a God who is making himself found to those who are searching for him, to a God who is near those who are walking in obedience to him. First thing God did when he brought the people out of Egypt, he says, I want to establish a dwelling place for you or for me with you. So we had them build a tent. He said, but I am a holy God. So we had them build a tent. He said, in the back of that tent, it's a 45 foot by 15 foot tent surrounded by a courtyard. In the back of that tent, I want you to cordon off a 15 by 15 foot section with a, with a curtain, with a veil. Behind that, will be my tangible presence on the earth, and we will call that place where I dwell on the earth with my people, we will call that place the most holy place or the holy of holy places. And I want to give you an indication that I'm residing there. I don't want there to be any confusion about my presence in that place. So I'm going to give you a visible manifestation of my presence with you, with my people. Fire in the sky in a tall column at night. And then a cloud by day. The amazing thing is, it was not just a manifestation of God's residence, but it was a manifestation of his movement, his direction. The, the cloud or the column of fire, it says it would, it would rise from the tabernacle, and the people would say, oh, God's on the move. Let's go with. And so they would pack everything up, and when they got all packed up, the column of fire or smoke would move to the next location, and all the people would follow, and then it would stop, and they would say, oh, it looks like God wants to hang out here for a little bit. Let's put all the tabernacle back together, all the pieces back together, and let's back away because, after all, he is a holy God. And then the column of fire or smoke would descend back into the holy of holy places and rest there. And no matter where you were in the camp, you could look and see where God was resident. You could see across the tops of all of the tents, there was the Spirit of God, his dwelling place. God said, eh, that's a pretty nice tent. But I have a better idea for a temple. God said, I'm actually better at making temples than you are. 
I've made one for myself that I intend to inhabit. There on the cross, as, as Jesus is crucified and put to death, there that night in the temple, there's 12-year-old Zedekiah. You can read about his story in Zedekiah chapter 4. He's sweeping up, you know, in the temple that night, just cleaning the place up. It's been a busy day. In the tradition of Samuel, remember Samuel as a boy, he would tend to various responsibilities of keeping the place tidy. And there's Zed that night by himself finishing up his chores. And all of a sudden, with no warning, the veil, God's bedroom door, is split in half and left gaping open. Poor little Zed has to report this to his boss the next day. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, but I think God got out last night. <laughs> and I do not know where he went. Nobody knows where he went. Apparently, he didn't like his temple anymore. As Jesus is leaving to return to the Father, he makes this promise in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He tells his, his friends, his close friends, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit of God, the, the tangible presence of God on earth. I'm going to send you the Spirit, but I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to wait until I give you that gift. And so in Acts chapter 1, we, we read that all of the disciples were in Jerusalem and they're waiting in prayer and it says that they were gathered in an upper room of a building. And of course, in the architecture of the day, there would have been very small sort of portal windows that let in very little light. And so they're there in a somewhat darkened room, praying together, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says that there was the sound of, of rushing wind in the room. And then it says that there was tongues of fire little pillars of flame. And then it says something strange happened. The pillars of flames actually separated. So there was more of them. Wait a second. How many, how many places of resting are there for God? And it says that the, 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 the tongues of flame split, separated from each other, and came to moved across the room and came to rest over top of each person present. And God said, there's my temple. Everything that we've talked about in explaining salvation leads to the purifying work of Jesus to make holy 
a dwelling place for his spirit, a most holy place, the holiest of holy places on earth. God's spirit comes and takes up residence in his new temple, made by his hands, made holy through the work of Jesus on the cross. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit was sent for a particular purpose, for a particular objective. There is a wide range of things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And I would, if we had time, I would go through that list with you now, but we don't. But all of those things are towards this goal that you will be my witnesses. So really quickly, I've got to move fast at this point. I want to unpack this in three parts You will be my witnesses, the third part. What does it mean to be a witness? It's two things. It's a person who sees something and then tells someone about it. Two things happen, right? If you're called into court as a witness, it's because you saw something and you're now being asked to tell someone what you saw. So to be a witness is to first see it and then tell about it. You will be my witnesses means that you will see God at work and you will tell others about it. So to be a witness is not just to tell people about God, it's to see God, to experience him working, and then to tell others about that work. And he actually tells them, he says, and this will happen to the ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you were to leave Jerusalem and go all the way across the globe, like my dad said last week, to Homer, Alaska, guess what? You'll find is that if you're there on behalf of Jesus' great commission, you will see God working. You will bear witness to him at work as you tell others about him. You shall be my witnesses. The second part is that happens when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is why Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus had, was, physical presence of God on the earth confined to a single location, a single geographical location, 
The Holy Spirit, as it turns out, is not so confined. And so this last week, I went to Oregon. And guess who I found down there? The Holy Spirit. You know why he was down there? Because I brought him. I thought maybe I would need to bring him in case he wasn't there, but then I got down there and I met some other people and discovered he was already there. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, not a feeling, not a sense of something or a reminder of something. The Holy Spirit is person is God dwelling in us, and it's actually what gives us cohesion and unity as the body of Christ. Jesus had a physical body. The church has a physical body with many members spread out across the planet, and the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is resident in every single one of them. Now, that's a force to be reckoned with. You will receive power. You will receive supernatural, miraculous power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you towards you being my witnesses. That's what that power will accomplish. There's always a point to power, right? You watch the Gatorade commercials. There's the guy on the track, you know. The guy lifting weights, shooting hoops. More power for what? I don't know, energy or something, right? If I put fuel in my vehicle, it gives my vehicle power to do what the vehicle is supposed to do, what it's intended to do. The power of the Holy Spirit in us is the thing that produces witness. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in my marriage that has made me a witness of God's grace and his mercy and his kindness and his goodness. Now I'm doing the second part of being a witness. I'm telling you about it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that gives us a supernatural capacity at whatever stage of growth we're at to take that next step towards obedience, towards the mission of God. It's his power in us that produces witness. I witness God at work through me and around me. I see him doing in me what I could never find within myself the capacity to do on my own. People who have given their lives to be a witness are never surprised to encounter his power. Ever want to hear some really fun stories? Ask Terry Ellert to tell you what it's like to work at the washboard. 
she shared a few stories with me. The crazy thing is, all of her stories basically have the same sort of storyline. I said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And he sent this person out of the blue. And so now I'm witnessing. Here we go. And then I got to see God's power at work in this encounter in ways that I wasn't anticipating. I just said yes. I remember years ago, meeting with a, with a, a young guy and, and feeling so completely lost into how to help this man move towards Jesus. In fact, I came home and I told my wife, I said, I don't know what to do. I probably should never meet with him again. I don't know what to do. I've completely exhausted my capacity to help. The next time we got together, the Holy Spirit was working in a way that I'd never seen before. I could take no responsibility for it, but the Holy Spirit was working in his life, and I got to be in the front row to witness it. We are witnesses to God's work in us and through us and around us as we walk towards him. And that witness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. As I witness God doing a miraculous work in me, in my life, and in my relationship with others, I'm moved to share the testimony of his miraculous power with others. As I bear witness of him to others, and when I do that, I continue to see his miraculous power at work in the lives of those that I'm reaching and in my own life as I try to reach them. The Holy Spirit is involved in all of that, empowering that. You say, man, where do I start? How do I get moving on this? Luke eleven thirteen. 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I want to address, and I've got to, again, I'm kind of running out of time. I want to address three ways that I've seen people stall in their ongoing experience of the Holy Spirit enabling them. The first is, your experience of the Holy Spirit has stalled or cooled because you stopped doing the things that he has called you to do. You said no. You said no out of fear, out of selfishness, out of pride, whatever it is. You said no. At some point, you realize that the Holy Spirit couldn't be wielded like a sorcerer's staff for your own purpose, and discovered instead that he intends to wield you for Jesus' purposes. And you said, "Ah, I don't know if I'm on board with that. You're no longer a witness because at some point you parted ways. Secondly, it's possible that your experience of the Holy Spirit has cooled simply because you don't care enough to do anything about it, to walk in obedience. And the apathetic Christian is something that God simply doesn't tolerate. Number three, 
Maybe you earnestly crave a greater experience of the Holy Spirit, but you rarely position yourself where he is at work. If you plead for him to come to you, and yet you have refused to go to where he is, it's possible that you're dissatisfied in your experience of the Holy Spirit because you've forgotten that the Holy Spirit was sent to equip you towards the accomplishment of the Great Commission. And if you're not on board with that mission, you're at home on the couch drinking Gatorades. And seeing no change. Does the Holy Spirit help you overcome? Yes, but that's not his end objective. Death will help you overcome. His end objective is that you would get on board with the mission while you still have an opportunity to be a part of it. Does the Holy Spirit offer you comfort? Yes, but that's not his end objective. God is not making you comfortable as the Titanic sinks. His mission is to bring you on board with, with, with preaching and bringing and bearing witness to the gospel. Does the Holy Spirit help you grow into Christ's image? Yes, but that's not his end objective. Again, that will be done in full, immediately, in the blink of an eye, when you step from this life into the next. Your sin will be gone. You will be righteous in every way. Hallelujah. But in the meantime, there's something that you don't get to do then, and that is be on board with the mission of Christ on earth. And I'm sorry I'm yelling, but I just care a lot about this. Does the Holy Spirit want to supernaturally enable you? Yes, but towards what? You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you in power. Invite the worship team to come up. Two things real quickly. Before I close, one is, if you want to uh, develop your capacity as a disciple maker, Intentional is coming up. It's a training to help you step out in obedience to that mission that God has placed on you for your joy, for your fulfillment. If you want some equipping in that, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, Tuesday night training. Uh, Three weeks, the last three weeks, or three Tuesdays of March. You can sign up over here. And also corporately, Uh, This weekend, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we're doing three nights of prayer uh, at The Rock. You can come. It's at 7 o'clock each evening. You can come one or all of the nights. And the goal of our prayers is that God would show us how the Spirit is calling us to be on mission with Him here in Homer, in Alaska, and in the world. That's what we're after. to close your eyes with me for a second you guys know what drones are right <clears throat> those things that hover in the air so I want you to picture that it's 6 55 a.m. in the morning and you are hovering over the parking lot of the high school it's pitch black and you see a light headed towards the back of the gym 
and that light is coming from a Chevy 2500 with wiser homes on the side of it. It's not his headlights. It's the spirit of the Lord living inside of Jason Weiser and his kids that he's bringing uh, to joyfully serve this community and this church to do all of this. And then about 10.29 a.m., uh, a fire starts in here because all of you are late to church. And then we start to worship. And that fire starts a column of smoke that leads to heaven. It's amazing. And then what happens after that is we tear down and all of the pillars of fire that have assembled in this place go out into Homer with a purpose to spread the gospel, to love on your neighbor. We get to do that. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, ask. If you do, ask him for direction and vision for what to do next. It's a privilege to be a part of that. So much joy. There is no greater obedience, no greater joy than the obedience you can have in Christ. Nothing on the earth compares to that. Nothing. Uh, so if you want